Hey folks, welcome back to Top After. This is Chris coming to you live. Sorry about that little goofy uh, screw up there. That didn't work the way it was supposed to. Today's special feature, talking about growing up in the Belgian Congo. Let me just let you know in advance before we get started, this is not a pro or anti-colonial period show. This is a program simply about folks who grew up in the Congo relating their experiences at that time in the Belgian Congo. It's an era that's passed. This is not people pining for a colonial era. This is not people promoting it. And this is nothing against the country of the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's a completely different entity. This is during the Belgian Congo period. Uh, two folks who grew up as young kids there and talk about their experiences. Nigel's going to talk to us about the time frame from 1953 to 1960. And Eric will talk to us from about 1950, almost exactly the same time frame. And uh, they're both going to join us. So I'm going to bring them in now. And these are my guests today, Erica. And, well, before I do it, before I bring him, hang on, hang on, before I bring him, uh, let me just put this up back on the screen here. So this was, um, that's an ecclesiastical map for those who don't recognize it from what was then the Belgian Congo. These are the districts broken down for church. As you can see, these aren't the provinces necessarily, but it's a pretty good map. It has a good breakdown. You can see how large the country is and how it's broken down in different places. And we're going to cover, I think that uh, Elizabethville, which is where uh, Erica grew up, uh, is in the Benedictines and Salicins, uh Ecclesiastical District. And then the uh, Leopoldville, which is today Kinshasa, that's where the Jesuits were at, and that's where Nigel grew up. So we're going to talk to both of them in just a second. I'll bring the map up periodically and also bring up photographs from time to time. So we're going to get started with that. Let me welcome in my guest. Let me hang on a second here. Okay, I need to get rid of some things in this stream because there's way too much stuff here. There we go. All right. Hey, welcome, folks. You can go ahead and turn your mics on. All right. So how's it? Bonjour, mes amis. Hey, look at it. Nigel says hello to everybody in French. And Erica says hi in English. Yeah, bonjour. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> well, guys, um, this is, uh, as I said, you know, we, we talked about this is just relating your experiences growing up. It's it's a different era. And um, if anyone else uh, grew up in the area, we're happy to host them later on, no matter what their ethnicity is, if they want to talk about their experiences. But but this is about your experiences growing up. And so with that, um, let's go ahead and I'll ask uh, Erica. So we're going to talk. Uh, for, you were born in Katanga. Is that right? That's right. Yes, in Elizabethville, which is now Lubumbashi. Um, I was born in a mission hospital in on a very hot December afternoon. Um, yeah. Was it a Friday? Just after a tropical storm. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, I was born on a Friday. That's why I ask. <laughs> I think I am a Friday's child. Yes. Okay. Cool, cool beans. <laughs> And Nigel, what about yourself? Where were you born? And uh, were you born in the Congo or, or did you arrive there? No, I arrived there. I was born in Belgium in 1953 in a little town called Rosiers in Belgium. Okay. And so Erica was in Katanga, which is in the very southern part of the country, a uh, big mining area. Uh, if you see that movie, the recent movie, The Siege of Jadoville, you'll see a depiction of an Irish United Nations peacekeeping company that was left to their own devices and abandoned there and surrounded by Katangan troops, uh, loyal to Mo Moises Shombe. And you'll, you'll see that. But uh, that's the region we're talking about for Erica. You are in what today is known as Kinshasa, up, uh, which is the capital of uh, then of the Belgian Congo and today of uh, the Democratic Republic Congo. That's a very different situation. You're next to this massive, I mean, massive river, uh, very different. Uh, I imagine the weather's probably a little bit different too because there's quite a, a, quite a geographical spread there. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Leopoldville or Kinshasa today? Who's going to go first? No, I'm I'll asking. I'm first. asking about that. Oh, then I'll, oh, then I'll okay. get back okay. to Erica. I just um, we're just go. One, one of the, yeah, one of the unique features of Leopoldville or the Congo is that every afternoon you were assured of a thunderstorm. Ah. Around three o'clock, half past four, you would have a storm. So that was the Congo. 
Okay. Yeah, it was the same in Elizabeth Bowl. Okay, so you, you had the, lots of rain on both ends. Okay, but uh, but you're ex next to this massive river. I mean, the, the Congo River is huge. Yeah, it's it's incredibly big, huge, but, huge, huge. But at at Leopoldville or Kinshasa, what was it like there? It's it's slow flowing. You know, there's no rapids or anything like that there. No, any further down. But where we were, it was pretty slow and it was quite wide. Um, and it, all the boats came up from there. A lot of the trade mm -hmm. through the rest of Africa went through there. Well, you know, the Congo at that period. Sure. Um, but also, there's a, there's a, when we go through the photographs, one thing I'd like to say to the listeners or to the viewers is that there's a misconception about the Congo in that period is that everybody thinks it was wild and it was like the jungle. In actual fact, it was a very, very modern city. And you'll see that when you look through the photographs. Mm -hmm. The thing is that was quite amazing is you would drive down the boulevard, which is a main street, you know what a boulevard is. And then the minute you've left the boulevard, you're almost in the jungle. Yeah. It was an amazing place. It wasn't as if you're driving from here, from Johannesburg, Pretoria, and it's a highway and you've got all these buildings and businesses. There it was completely different. It was very congested. You had a city. And then outside was all your villages and where the people lived, et cetera, et cetera. It's a bit different today. But that's what it was like at that point. So in Katanga down in Elizabethville, or today Lumumbashi, uh, what was that like? Is that Was that built up at all? Was it more of a provincial small town, Erica? No, it was much the same. And also, um, I don't know if it was the same as Nacho, but we had, every Sunday, uh, we had um, like an orchestra or something like that uh, playing, and we'd go for walks. It was like a boulevard as well, and yeah. So a mission. Uh, we, oh, sorry, go ahead, Nigel. So we had the equivalent to German Umpabans, yeah, and they play the trumpet all the time. <laughs> yeah, with good music. Well, th thank but you. But that was that was a feature. Thank you for sharing that, Sergeant Schultz. Um, <laughs> I know nothing, nothing. Yeah, it is it is on Soden, not Schultz. <laughs> but uh, Erica, so um, in Elizabethville, you were born in a mission hospital. You said, does uh, is that just coincidence? Were your parents missionaries? Um, no, well, my mother came from uh, Belgium. She um, she did uh, nursing in Belgium, and she went down to the Congo to go and study tropical diseases mm -hmm. and um, I think she probably worked at this uh, little hospital it was run by nuns so I was probably delivered by nuns I don't know um, I can't remember that part <laughs> um, yeah but it was I think it was um, probably a very good little hospital um, there were complications and but I survived so and your, and your father, was he in mining or business or? No, he got his, he uh, studied in Switzerland in uh, Lausanne and he was an accountant and a chartered accountant. And he worked for Tabak Congo. He was the account, their accountant. Um, and I think he was part of the, uh, you know, the whole business um, conglomeration mm -hmm. there in uh Elizabeth Hall at that time, which um, Chombi was also part of. Yeah. So that, that, that era there, when you, now I know what um, Leopoldville was like. There were a lot of white folks um, living in Leopoldville. I don't know how large the white population was in Elizabethville, but was it, I mean, for you, was it normal to see lots of white folks around or was it mostly black Africans that you saw on the streets? Erica. No, it was a mixture. 
Okay. It was very much like South Africa is to, is now. It was a mixture. Do you have any particularly fond memories of Elizabethville? I mean, something that stands out other than this uh, Sunday concert thing you've referred to and going for walks. <laughs> well, we had a very big garden that I can remember with bananas growing and monkeys, and it was quite wild. Um, and also, my best friend was Trombie's daughter, and. Uh, um, I used to go and visit her regularly in there, and we would he would take us into the jungle to, I think it probably was uh, members of his family, tribal village mm -hmm. in, in the jungle. And um, I was assimilated into their culture, uh, learning to interpret the jungle drums and all that. It was quite fun in those days when I first started to learn that, yeah. Well, I mean, Here, that's... Um, I, you, you left it, unfortunately, a, a very young age because of things falling apart later yeah. on. But um, were you able to or did you ever stay in touch with his daughter or, or have you been in touch with yeah. her? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I figured because you were very young. So that's, I mean, yeah. if you had been a teenager, yeah. it might have been a different story. But at that age, yeah. yeah. Wow. So rain every day. Um, was it yes. hot? Was it hot? Did you have seasons or is it pretty much standard the same year round? It was much, hot, much hotter. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just to get... I think it was just the humidity that changed, you know, with the heat as well. Um, and mosquito nets, we always had to uh, uh, have mosquito nets around our beds. Mm -hmm. And not just hanging over, but tucked un underneath the mattress. Oh, mosquitoes are tricky little buggers. They know how to get to you if you don't have a tucked under, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, now, okay, well, since you mentioned that, obviously there, there's a reason for that. It's not simply not to be bit. It's to not get malaria. That's why people have the nets. Yeah. So, was there a lot of malaria? Do you remember malaria? Did you get it when you were a child? No, I didn't get it. Did you not all? No, I didn't get it at all. Mm. Mm, interesting. I, I got sunstroke. So, um, and also I became allergic to, you know, the palm trees in, in the Congo? Mm -hmm. There's that little mm -hmm. white juice that comes out of it. I'm allergic to that. And I get terrible asthma attacks with it. So oh, sure. I, have to, I, have to be, I have to be careful when I go down to Natal in those areas. When there's palm trees and there's that white juice that comes out that attacks my chest. Well, it's nasty. I stay away from it to begin with, so allergic yeah. or not. Yeah. <laughs> allergic or not. No, yeah. Congo was a hot place. It was really a hot place. Yeah. But you would work it would work in the morning mm -hmm. and then you would have a siesta until about that's from our family side, until about four, half past four, and then you would carry on for as long as you could after that. because uh, it was just really too hot and humid. Uh, it was mm -hmm. terrible. Uh, terrible, but as a kid you didn't really know anything different. It's only once I'd left the Congo and came to South Africa and went back to Belgium for a while that you realized how hot the place really is. <laughs> well, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's people are like uh, adults who move to a place that's cold and they experience snow and, and sub-zero mm. temperature. Like, oh, this is terrible. Like, mm. And when you're, and you're kids, you're like, you're just out there playing in it, getting all soaking mm. wet and your hands are red and you're freezing and you don't paint and mm. you never mind to it. You just don't know any better. It's what you know. So yeah, I can understand. I can relate to that. Erica, when you... Uh, when your family lived there, did you, did you, what did you guys eat? I mean, was it, was it a, a European style diet or were you eating local things or a mix of things? Do you recall? A mix of things. And, uh, I, I was introduced to manioc and cassava, which I loved. Ugh. I absolutely Ugh. loved it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to eat it. <laughs> I don't even want to look at it. <laughs> Cassava, no thank 
<laughs> I don't know if I would eat that now, but as a child, I didn't mind, you know, and it was also the way they prepared it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was with Tommy's family or friends or whatever in the village, mm-hmm. um, it was total, total different kind of that and uh, lifestyle. And the thunderstorm at four o'clock every afternoon, which cooled down everything after that and made it a lot more bearable. Um, it would, but but now let me ask this question because Liberia was like this. Yes. It would rain. It would be brutally humid and hot. It would rain. Everything would cool down. Yeah. And then it would yeah. steam off and it would get just as bad within a short period of time. Was that, <laughs> is that how it was there? Basically, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we didn't have air conditioners in those days. Aircon? What's aircon? Aircon yeah, no, it, on the window. <laughs> no, you slipped, you slipped with your windows open and you didn't have pajamas. So you just slipped with however you want to sleep. But uh, you were you were ninety nine point nine percent naked, put it mildly. All right, this is the TMI uh, section of the program, folks. Uh, turn your volume down. Um, just to look the other way. Tell the children to go to the next room. No, but seriously. Uh, so, Nigel, <laughs> um, what was your family doing in the Congo? Uh, what were your parents up to down there? My my uh, my dad met my mom. Uh, just after the war, and he got mustered okay, out of the hold on, hold on, folks. Hold on, folks. Okay, for those of you wondering, no, this is not the Iraq War. No, no this is not the Gulf War. This is not Vietnam. <laughs> this is not, not Korea. This is the yeah. war, the Second World War. Go ahead, Nigel. Yeah. He, he'd served in the Navy for for the whole period of the war. Oh, dear God, another uh, Navy guy. Jeez. Uh, I will sort you out, my dear boy. <laughs> anyway, that's how my dad used to talk. Exactly. Anyway, um, yeah. I'd remember, just to interject here, he sent me to England because when I came here, I couldn't speak English. I only spoke French. Mm-hmm. So he sent me to England to learn to speak the Queen's English because he was very, very English, you know, And when, because he was an officer in the Navy. So when I got back from, the, from uh, England after spending a year there at a private school or what they call um, a public school, uh, he sat me in the chair and he said, right, my boy, let me hear you speak the Queen's English. And I said, what? Anyway, having said that, um, my dad must have, I, after the Navy, he married my mother, of course, obviously. Uh, you did in those days. Um, and then he got a job with a company called IGCB, International Geographic du Congo Belge, which is a company that did aerial photography and mapping for the military and for uh, geographic purposes. And he was invited to go to the Congo to run one of the sections there, which he did. And this is how we landed up in the Congo. And um, with and his whole period of his time, we lived in the Congo. He worked for that company. So on the first picture, you'll see there. There's uh, one of the aircraft, which was uh, a De Havilland Dove, which was used uh, for aerial photography. Or as uh, the thing with, with with flying in the Congo, you don't fly late afternoons because of the storms. Right. You flew in the morning. So they had three airplanes. They had the Dove, which transported all the... the Let me put that on the screen right now. I'm going I'm to yeah. bring that on the screen on top of us here. So just a second here. All right, there you go, folks. You can see it. That's the first aircraft mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. And that, you can see the... ICGB yeah. on the side, on, yeah. on the fuselage. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that, that transported the, the workers and uh, the members of the, of the company to the various places. Bukovu, uh, where else did we go to? Uh, Matadi and, and all sorts of other places. And then the main two other airplanes, which were DAX, which the old C-47s, which were converted to aircraft for, with huge cameras, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. Um, so we traveled a lot around the Congo, but our base was Leopoldville. Okay. So that's that was his job. That's and he was head of that particular division. 
Now, before we go any further here, I've got it up on the screen. So it looks like the picture below that, because I've got full screen now, so two pictures on yes. each page. So yes. it looks like that might be your parents. Uh, your father was an Englishman. Uh, your mother, I'm guessing, was Belgian. How the hell did yes. you get a German surname? Please fill us in on that one. Um, that's not, that is not my dad. That's oh, my mom. Sorry. Okay. That's not fine. That's my mom. The reason why I put that picture there, because that's a very well-known personality in, in South Africa or was mm -hmm. his brother was, okay. his brother was, uh, uh, um, this guy's name was Mike Frost. His brother was, oh gosh, it's just slipped my mind now. Anyway, he flew for the cheetah squadron in Korea. Ah, okay. Starting gotcha. in Spitfires and what have you. Now, this fella, him and a few other guys started Trek Airways years, years, years ago. But he was a pilot for my dad at that period of time. So that what you see there is my mom and this uh, guy called Mike Frost. But what's interesting, if you look at the look at the furniture, yes. it's the furniture of the period. So it was all very modern for that. So this is where the illusion of the Congo being jungle all the time. It was very, very modern mm -hmm. for for its time. Anyway, that's that's what it's about. Okay, that so picture. that so that is your mother, though. Yes, that's my mother. Is yep. she is she Belgian? She's Belgian, okay. and my father my father's British. So where the German name comes from is yeah, I really don't know, but I'm told we originated. <laughs> well, from, I don't know, but I'll just make uh, something up for you, Chris. <laughs> why not? Uh, from from Germanic tribe called the Sordens or Bath Sorden or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. And that's where the name originates from. Now, there's a lot of Sodans in America and in Ireland and in England. So it's not unique. It's just that you don't hear a lot of that particular surname. And it is German in origin. Yeah, no, the, you mentioned Bat. Uh, it's spelled B-A-D, yeah. but pronounced like Bat. Like mm. Bat, um, mm. bat is, is a German word for bath. Um, so like the yeah. Roman bath. So you have you have Bat Kreuznach, Bat, mm. uh, bat Zoden. Um, mm. there's, there's a lot yeah. of them. So Bat Reichenhall. Those are all places that had thermal baths where um, the Romans introduced that in Germany. Uh, yeah. for the parts they controlled uh, on the other side of the Rhine. So, yeah, interesting. So uh, let's talk a little more about these photos then. So let's go to the next page. Um, and here we have a cockpit photo, and then it looks like a bombardier's position with an oxygen mask on. What's that all about? Okay, that's that's my dad. Now, if you look at the bottom, the bottom corner, the right-hand corner, near the middle, that's the camera that was used to do ah, photographs, okay. just to do these huge... Huge eight by ten negatives. Sure. Um, top topography photo photography. Now he's lying on a mattress here because remember this aircraft. All these aircraft at that time were turbocharged, not turbocharged, supercharged. Yeah. So they had to they had to really fly at high altitude, which was and he sees wearing an oxygen mask, which is higher than twelve and a half thousand feet. Yep. So they're flying at around twenty five thousand feet, taking photographs. He's lying on a mattress there. And if you look, he's got blankets all over him because it's bloody freezing up there. Yep. And he he guided the aircraft and where and guided the camera where the pictures had to be taken. So you see the oxygen mask there, the mattress in which he lied on, and the blankets over him. So yeah, that's what it was all about in those days. And the cockpit view there is Mike Frost flying. Um, the co-pilot's flying at that point, as you can see. But that was just an, an, uh, the cockpit of that era of the C-47. Sure, sure. sure. Yeah, forty-seven C-47 Dakota, amazing aircraft. Uh, six of them, mm -hmm. six or seven of them still in service with the South African Air Force. Mm -hmm. They had nine, yeah. but they've managed to crash three mm -hmm. of them in the last decade under the ANC. Yeah. But uh, amazing aircraft, now 70 years old, still in the air. Uh, very mm -hmm. popular platform. There's a yeah. company, Buffalo Air, up in uh, Canada that uh, that flies these things. They had this, um, what are the uh, ice pilots or something like that? Was this uh, television mm -hmm. reality mm -hmm. show? Really awesome stuff. 
Um, yeah, I actually know the the son up there, Mikey Bryan, uh, mm -hmm. who um, is now um, is going to take over from his father. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, the C forty seven is amazing aircraft. This was quite uh, quite quite the setup there. Of course, for folks who are not familiar with aviation, when you go over ten thousand feet, you need to have a pressurized aircraft normally uh, because of the uh, lack of oxygen and the um, air pressure up there. So that must have been tough duty for your dad sitting in the back of this thing with that camera freezing like that. It had to be a real challenge at over twelve thousand feet. I think you said it was. Yeah, yeah. He he. Just a little bit of a history about him as well, which I have later on. You'll see if you. I don't know if you want to go further down. There's a biplane in there. If you want to uh, display well, I don't that. that far ahead, but let me jump. Okay, let's okay, let's not let's, worry about that. You will get, get to, to it. We'll do now. the next one real quick, yeah. and then we'll cover some okay. more things. So, okay. the next one here looks like um, there's a hangar there with I see at yeah. least four tails coming out of it. Yeah, and then uh, two folks standing below one of the aircraft. Yeah, they they were aircraft engineers. They worked on the engines. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I've been told by 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 um, competent, accomplished authorities that black people weren't allowed to do anything in Africa. They were denied. Uh, How could they possibly yeah. be engineers if black people were denied education and no, couldn't do anything? No, you know, by no. the way, speaking of which, um, you know, Dr. Um, Zuelet Mkizi, the South African's Minister of Health, uh, attended schools to become a medical doctor during apartheid in South Africa and mm. became a medical practitioner during apartheid in South Africa and practice medicine during apartheid in South mm. Africa. But I thought that mm. blacks were denied education, but I'm anyway, just sorry, not, not to, we're not talking politics, no. but how do, no, these no, folks, no, it's fine. how do these folks wind up being engineers? What's the deal with that? Well, the company trained them up. I mean, we didn't, we didn't have segregation in the country in those days. You went, everybody went to the same school, whether you're black, white, Chinese, Indian, whatever it was, you all went to the same school. You were all taught by Jesuit priests or teachers from the Belgium, uh, from the country, the home country, we used to call it. Yeah. So they all had all the opportunities. It was all there. You know, it, it, that's my understanding. What happened politically-wise, I have, yeah. I really, it's, I don't know. But it was just them standing next to the aircraft. And as you know, everybody likes to have the pictures taken next to the airplanes. And this is one of the aircraft that they worked on. And these aircraft were seconded from the Sabina and then converted into the, uh, into the uh, photographic platform aircraft. Sabina being the, so, the state of national the main, carrier of, yeah. of, of Belgium, which eventually went Correct. bankrupt. <laughs> Correct, yeah. Yeah, so these aircraft that you see there are the actual aircraft of the company uh -huh. that were hanging in Yopoville. Um, but they flew all over. So you ha you would always have two aircraft that were um, airworthy certificateness, and then one was kept back, which was going through. It's either it's 50 hour, 100 hour, it's annual. And then the next aircraft, was, so they would rotate all the time. Right, we would call that phase, a, phase maintenance. So you always had yeah, part of yeah. the aircraft going through Always phase. had an airplane yeah. up in the air, yeah. And because of the weather, and also there was a policy in the Congo, and I don't know, maybe Erica would know about this as well, that in the company, you weren't allowed to live longer than, you weren't allowed to stay longer than six months in the Congo. That was the company policy. I don't know if it was a policy amongst the, uh, the, uh, the ruling party at the time or the government at the time, is that you would uh, had to go back to Europe for six months. So you worked for six months, went back to Europe for six months, Went back to the Congo, worked for six months, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the reason was that because of because of the tropical diseases, they were worried that, you know, you stay too long, you might pick up malaria or one of the other tropical diseases. So some other photos that we'll get to later on, I'll explain to you what it's all about. Well, that, anyway, sounds, that's a, that sounds about as scientific as, you know, um, you can have um, yeah, 50, it's boring. 50, or, no, 50 or less guests at a gathering because of COVID. But if you have 51, mm -hmm. everyone will die from COVID. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. 
I can't remember leaving the Congo every year, uh, but I do remember going to um, Switzerland. I think I went twice. Mm. Um, also, I remember going to Mozambique on holiday. Um, I think we did that twice. Uh, the one time, actually, um, yeah, that was an interesting experience because we were in a little cottage, you know, right on the beach in Mozambique, and yeah. um, my mom was preparing breakfast and was one of these paraffin stoves, and it exploded. Oh, gosh. And, yeah, yeah, and my mom was badly burnt, and she had to be sent to South Africa. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so, I'm sure it's a company policy. I don't think it was the policy of a government at the time. You know, probably. But now that you mention uh, it, it's we did go away quite often. Yes, yeah. I, I remember we used so, to sit outside in, in certain places, which you'll see some pictures later on as well, where a helicopter would fly overhead and drop uh, DDT all the time. Do you remember no, that? I don't remember that. Yeah, that's no, a mosquito. They're controlling mosquitoes. That. Yeah. I was in yeah. afternoon, just before the storm. It was very effective. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it also um, weakened uh, eggshells for birds. So <laughs> we yeah. wound up, yeah, <laughs> because of Rachel yeah. Carson's Silent Spring, we stopped yeah. using it. And, um, yeah. and the way they were using it was indiscriminate, but um, judicious use of it was quite. But anyway, that's another story. But uh, so that raised a question uh, when you mentioned your, your mom. So one thing I noticed when I started traveling to Africa it was still prevalent that it continued since the colonial era is that people who lived in uh, Africa outside South Africa and from you know the Congo downwards, if they needed serious medical care, they always went to South Africa for their medical care. Was that yeah. a phenomenon at the time for you guys as well? Uh, people were being evacuated or did you get most care you needed right there in Leopoldville or Elizabethville? No, we, we got care there, but I, I, if you really were sick, then we went to Belgium. Because it's a government in, it was a government company, um, we were, all that was taken care of by the government. So if you really got sick, we were shipped off to, to, Belgium, to, to, to Brussels, and then we went to the national health there at the time. So it was, it was, that was, that was I'm getting tongue-tied here. That was the policy in those days. You know, well, I asked because um, I'm, one kind of, I'm kind of picturing, you know, maybe there's a big hospital in Stanleyville. And maybe oh, there, there was. Yeah. Hmm. And, but then uh, maybe in Elizabethville, there might be a hospital. Maybe there's a bunch of little clinics. And I'm just trying to picture this. I'm thinking if you need like a heart surgery or something like that, you'd have to go. No, no, no. I think, I, think yeah. the, 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 I think they would do like appendix mm -hmm. if it was that bad. But I think above serious stuff, I think they would send you somewhere else. But we never went to South Africa. We went back to Belgium many times. And every six months you had to go. We had my dad and I was tested as well because I, I remember that one specific incident when we had to be tested uh, for diseases and what have you. And then I got a shot for, um, it was something I can't remember, but they gave it underneath my foot, some vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I got terribly sick over it. So um, I landed up in a hospital in Belgium because of that. So, Erica, what about with you guys? Uh, serious things you were evacuated to South Africa or? Well, my mother was evacuated to South Africa when she was burnt, uh, when that stove exploded. And um, um, she was uh, flown down by helicopter. And then I, we followed her quite soon after that. It was about a year before we, we came down to South Africa as refugees. Gotcha. So, I was, must have been about four. Yeah. Okay. So Ron is asking a question. Um, 
I'm gonna try to do this. So uh, <laughs> I, I assume that this means mother murder is murder mother M O E. Yeah, okay. So he's asking Nigel. I think if you're now, this is in is in is in Flemish. I guess I can't tell, but he says Flams Vals of Brussels, a Flemish Walloon. Okay, yeah, that I can read. Flemish Walloon or Brus from Brussois. Where's your mother from, if you don't mind sharing? He was curious. She's she's a Walloon. A Walloon. Okay, there you go. Okay. She's from Brussels. Yeah, but uh, she's a Walloon. She's a Walloon. Okay, cool. Well, there you go. Same as my dad. I just let you know, uh, Ron. We're not ignoring you. Just having a hard time. I'm a hard time figuring out what you're trying to ask. I think I got it. Okay, <laughs> so let's go back to the photos real quick there, and uh, the ones I'm gonna put on the screen now are the next ones, which is one of those engineers with a massive engine there, mm. and then mm. below that, uh, people gathered in a living room for conversation. What are these mm. two photos? Tell us about those, Nigel. These again, I, I can't remember exactly where they were, but this is what would happen when you weren't flying you would gather around and then discuss whatever events or the daily life in the congo because it was pretty laid back in many instances some days you couldn't fly some months you couldn't fly at all because it was just too hot or humid so this was just a general type of get together around there and drink a, a consumer an ordinous amount of beer which i didn't <laughs> i drank an ordinary amount of coke uh -huh. uh, and this is what they would do and um that was our daily life. That's what it was all about. Just sitting around, talking nonsense and whatever you, carefree. I'm thinking that maybe uh, Dodgy Joe and um, and uh, Yanni have it right. I mean, Call of Duty looks a lot more interesting than sitting around drinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's the uh, the engineer that's here? Is that an engine from one of the Dakotas? Yeah, that's a Pratt & Whitney. I don't know exactly which one it is, but it's one of the engineers. One of the engines have to taken off the aircraft, probably doing some maintenance on it or whatever. I'm not too sure. But um, they, I mean, if, if you look at, just look at the guy. I mean, look at what he's got. I mean, you know, it's, they were reliable. They worked. My dad always praised them. Mm -hmm. uh, never had problems with them. Um, they always were eager. Mm -hmm. They flew with us. Um, you know, it was all very much a mixed bag. You know, no problem at all. No problem at all. That's quite the impressive engine he's working on there. So let me slide mm -hmm. down. I've, I've changed the view because it was too small okay. to full screen. So what mm -hmm. I've done now is on the next page, um, I'm going to guess this might be your mom and maybe you sitting in a park bench. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, look at little Nigel. Look um, at Nigel. He's like the brew. He's, he's showing off his nipples. <laughs> that's little me. Little me. Wow. Anyway, um, Yes, again, um, I, what I wanted to show here, why I chose this photograph, is that if you look at the park, it's just a normal scene. There's nothing fancy about it. It was a well-kept park. There was strewn all over in Yopalville. You could walk around. Um, it was just nice and comfortable. But if you notice, I, I'm not wearing anything. That's how you walked around in the Congo, because it was hot as hell. <laughs> so... <laughs> And the clothes, my mom at the time made all her own clothes. So she would, she brought a, a sewing machine. I know that because she used to talk about it, uh -huh. how she used to enjoy making clothes. Um, and of course, my dad being not only a photographer, he would take a whole lot of pictures. So like I said, we've got thousands of pictures of that period. But I, I specifically took this one because of the park. You know, you could go there and sit and do whatever you want to, I guess. You know, That's pretty cool. Now the, the, the bench, the uh, the frame of the bench is concrete. Mm. It looks mm. like the slats might be metal. I can't tell if they're metal or wood. Um, they're wood. They were wood. Oh, they are wood. Okay, okay. Wasn't yeah, sure. I was yeah. wondering if maybe termites yeah. might be an issue. <laughs> no, no. Uh, the little red ants were an issue. They used to bite the crap out of you. Yeah. You know, you had to be careful for those red ants. You know, they 
you would uh, scratch in places where you didn't want to scratch. <laughs> yeah, I know they, uh, they, somebody got the genius idea to import these, uh, these red ants that keep the forest floor clean from Germany into the Pacific Northwest. If you go out there in Washington State and you walk around and, and you sit down, uh, if you're not careful, you'll get bit pretty badly. These things, they bite and they leave marks and they're huge and they're very painful. Um, mm -hmm. But they, the forest floors are quite clean because they, they're, mm -hmm. they're great scavengers. They keep it clean. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lovely photo of the park there. Um, you must have been, I don't know, 18 months, two years old at that yeah, stage? Yeah, around, around there. It was early, early 53. Okay. 53, 54, early. Um, just probably just gotten there. Um, I can't tell you much more than that. All I wanted to do was de depict what the parks looked like at the time period sure, and the, sure. the life of people, um, how they lived there and what they did for fun. And, you know, we didn't go to cinemas. Yeah. You know, we didn't go to pubs. What we did do is that, you know, Belgium is, fa is famous for its little road cafe sites, the yes. little restaurants where if you, if you go to La Grand Place in Belgium, uh, around the square, on the one end, you've got all these little restaurants with the chairs and what have you outside. And you would sit there and have your little whatever it is you'd like to drink. And it was very much like that in the Congo as well. You would go on the boulevard and you'd have all these little restaurants on the side with their chairs and you'd all go there and drink under an umbrella that had uh, Schmernoff on it. What was the name that they used to use on those things? I can't remember, but anyway. So, so that's, that was the life in the Congo. Hendo is being a little cheeky here and I'll practice my Afrikaans. I think what he's saying is that Nigel was a, a naked colonial. Uh, Nigel was a Kalgat <laughs> colony. <laughs> yeah, pr probably, you know. But I have no tattoos, yeah, my, so I don't know. <laughs> well, my brothers, so they ran around naked, and my one brother, my older brother, um, he was everywhere. My mom, she had us three children very close together, and uh, my older brother was middle child. And he was eventually, um, she had put a miniature cowbell around his neck. So that she always knew who he was because he was into everything. And the one time she had these guests who came from And apparently uh, my brother came running around the corner as brown as a, he, he had dirt all over him, as naked as he, he, uh, as they was born, with the bell ringing around his neck. <laughs> the Congo. Mm -hmm. But I'll give, I'll give you a typical scene, which is what I remember, because, it, you know, there, there are moments, there are nanoseconds of time when you lived in the Congo that are imprinted in your mind and you never forget them uh, because they were just pure joy. Um, one of them is that I used to have little monkeys as pets. Uh -huh. Now, in them days, if you think of spa, where we have a, a shopping, um, a, a, a franchise of shops called spa, where you go and buy baked beans and God knows what it is you want. But they had something similar there. And what they used to do is used to pack all the baked beans and the cans of fruit or whatever on the floor. So you would have a, a stack of baked, baked beans, you know, stacked up in tins. And I, used, and I used to go to shops quite often. And that's one thing you could do in the Congo. You would yeah. walk around there quite safely, no problem. So I had this little monkey on me and, and he was such a naughty little bugger that I went into one of these shops the one day and he pulled one of these cans out that I had to run away as a five-year-old, you know, because my monkey, my monkey had done something terrible, you know. <laughs> Fortunately, I was not chased by a dog. So, um, yeah, those, those were the scenes that, that happened there often. You know, you would, it's not that everything was perfect. It's just that um, you were just a normal person. However, you can't walk around here now doing that sort of thing, uh, where there you could. 
Um, and everybody just took it for granted. There was nothing, you know, there was no murders. There was no kidnapping. Uh, sorry, let me put that. There was murders, but it was not in the extent that we have now. There was no kidnapping and that sort of stuff. It was just pure relaxation, enjoying your life. And I'm sure, I mean, for me, as a kid, I'm sure my parents had anxiety over certain things. I'm sure they had. Um, but for us as kids, it was just a brilliant, brilliant way of life. So much so when I landed up in Joburg and I got off the aeroplane, I looked at my mom and I said, Alors, c'est pas du Congo, eh? Qu'est-ce qu'il y a ici? C'est un problème, eh? I don't know if you can translate that, you know? I, um, you know, it wasn't the Congo for me. Hey? It's, it wasn't the same. No, I think it, it, we should share with, with the audiences that, of course, that we're, we're talking about recollections of folks who were young children at the time, your, your experience mm. as a child. So mm. as children, we seldom know what's going on with our parents or socio-political mm. issues. Those really mm. aren't things. Mm. You know what you experience. Like, you know, me going mm. and living in a, in a housing complex that was entirely black, uh, 400 families, mm. just three white families. Just natural. That's just how things were. It's not, you know, something you thought about a question. My best friend was black because everybody in the neighborhood was black. So, you know, that's just how it was. So, Erica, these cafes, were they a common feature in Elizabethville as well? Um, these little, you know, Belgian coffee cafes you find on the side of the road? Yes, they were. They were, of course, I will always remember the bank. You know, that play in the bank thing. Your, your microphone bang. is getting hollow again. Did it move or something? Uh, yeah. There we Thanks go. Thanks to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's very common. Um, yes, as they were. I remember going for ice cream quite regularly and that type of thing, just to cool down probably, also for my mom. Um, but obviously my most memorable memories were the bands in the bandstand and uh, families gathering in the streets. And um, it was very carefree. And even the school was interesting uh, because we, I don't know about Nigel, I started school at about the age of four. Same here. And, uh, yeah. And uh, Sanford, huge Sanford, but everything was big to me then. Um, and it was a Flemish school, so uh, with my mom being Flemish, um, it wasn't a problem um, at all. And that's where I met Tommy's uh, daughter was mm -hmm. at the school. And yeah. that was all, of course, the language instruction was French, of course. Flemish, Flemish and French. Oh, in Flemish as well. Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. these days, um, normally when kids are living abroad in a remote location like that, if there's, um, although there it was in international schools because that was actually, it was, it was Belgian. Um, but yeah. uh, say if you send your kids to a, a school abroad these days, typically the international schools are done in English, whatever country. And so just curious. Brett is just giving a super chat. He's asking your thoughts on Patrice Lumumba. Um, she was a small girl, probably never heard of Patrice Lumumba. Um, probably doesn't know much yeah. about him at all at that time. So we're reflecting on this time period, Brett. So you can ask that question at a later stage. But thank you for the super chat. So, Nigel, um, were you taught in French? I was, I was taught in French, yeah. Um, we never spoken to in Flemish, so I was purely French. And, and, and I had a, we had a nanny mm -hmm. who was a caretaker for me, personally, and she used to take me to the market. There's a picture of a market somewhere there, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. And she would teach me Swahili, so I learned mm -hmm. to speak Swahili. 
Okay, um, cool. Was, and unfortunately, I've forgotten it when I came to. No, the, but Swahili's the, easy. You know, it's uh, I, I, mm. I I learned it. I was fluent in it uh, in mm. less than a year at university, and then I didn't speak it for over twenty years. Found myself mm. in Arusha. I was sitting in a cafe, mm. and people around me in this this hotel there for a conference. And some people were speaking Swahili. I wasn't really paying much attention. Others were speaking English. The waiter came and asked me in English. He said, would you like something to drink? And I didn't even think about it. It just came right out of my head. Anina Tokamaji. Where'd that come from? Uh, I'll have water. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, that means I'll take water. But uh, yeah, it just came out. So it's a fun language. But but listen, mm. you've, you've done very well in life, despite the handicap of having been educated in French. I mean, you've overcome that disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> No I can I can th I can thank my father for that because when I married my wife she was Afrikaans and I was at that then I could speak English so when I met her she could hardly speak English and I and I couldn't speak Afrikaans so when we first dated she I would say kiss kiss and she looked at me and she says young moor and I thought oh that says yes I would give her a kiss you know <laughs> anyway okay that's that's the same that's the same with French you know you would. I would come here because I didn't speak English at that time. Yes. Or very, very broken English. And it was very difficult for me. And, of course, one of the misconceptions is that if you came from the Congo, everybody thought you were you could speak Flams, which is not the case at all. Right, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. that, that's why I asked those questions. So, mm -hmm. interesting. So, um, there is a question in that in the chat here about um, if, if either of you spoke uh, Lingala. No. Yeah, no. uh, that's. I wouldn't expect that uh, we'd get that from America because it's not the right region. But for you, it might be something you might have heard. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so let's get back to the photos. Let's take a look at those. Now, this one here, um, this looks to be like a pram from the 12th century. Um, it's a little outdated here, um, and uh, I'm going to guess that's you with your mom. It is with my mom, but you can brush her aside and me for a while. What I want you to do is have a look at the background and look at that building. Well, we that's, what, that's, that's what I was going to talk about. This looks yeah. like a major metropolitan city yes. somewhere in Europe. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it was very modern. There was high-rise, what we used, what we call high-rise buildings, but it's a block of flats. So if you go and look at pictures of the Congo now, especially uh, Lyopova, which is now um, Kinshasa. Kinshasa, you will see a lot of these still exist and people yeah. live there. So it is very modern, very much metropolitan. Um, so the misconception that the Congo was wild and it was bush all the time is not true. However, having said that, there was nothing more enjoyable than getting into a four by four. And then 20 minutes, you're out in the jungle or in the country hunting, you know, doing crocodile hunting in a cutout canoe or, you know, looking at wild animals, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that was the contrast between a city and going out to what we call here yeah, the bush felt into the felt. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's it's important to dispel those myths. There's, you know, this mm. is part of the problem. And so let me let me just be very clear about this. It's interesting because um, what you find is that um, when you I've seen this many times. I've seen people uh, when they when they come from Africa or they come from Asia or something like they talk to Americans and especially American kids and like, oh, they're just racist. What? Well, they think everyone you know has monkeys and mm. elephants in the yard and everything. But uh, immigrants whose kids come from Africa and grow up in the West and are disconnected from nature in Africa, mm -hmm. uh, who happen to be black, um, ask the same innocent questions as young white kids. Uh, do mm -hmm. you have elephants in your yard? Do you have, you know, because they don't know any better. It says nothing to do with that. That's, that's what always irritated me about this sort of thing is that people have these conceptions and, and misconceptions about locations. And you guys are helping to spell some of those. Well, here, let's talk to the next one here. Uh, this looks like um, an awesome looking folded wing biplane with a torpedo on it. And okay. um, there's a gentleman at the top. 
Okay, that's my dad. Okay. The one on the top is my dad. Okay. So this is a beach scene. And as you can see, we have a little transistor radio and he's trying to fish. And my dad was not a fisherman, but he was he was um, sort of um, cornered into trying to catch fish, which we tried. Um, but that's my dad, just to give you an idea of what it looked like, this the, the scenery at that at that point. It could be anywhere in South Africa, in actual fact. It could be, yeah. I don't know, whatever. But the plane below, uh, the, the biplane, that's a swordfish. That's a... Um, a swordfish that my dad served in. And one of the interesting facts about uh, my father is that he was on the ship that, uh, one they call a ship, I'm referring to the airplane, he served on the HMS Ark Royal. And he was on one of these aircraft that uh, was engaged, um, that engaged the Bismarck. Ah, okay. Yep. He was in the second wave. And that's why I put it in there. So that's part of the history of my family. Now, interesting thing about this photo that I must note here is that I do see that the engine is running because the propellers are spinning. Yet I don't see any pilots in the aircraft. <laughs> um, you have a good point there, actually. I've never noticed that. <laughs> I see a pilot on the right side of the image walking like, hey, yeah. my plane's taking off without me. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good point there. I've never noticed that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. But the Bismarck, okay. quite, quite a piece of history there. Mm. Um, okay. We're going to go down and look at another photo here. Um, I'm going to guess that's your mom with, I don't know if that's booze or cologne. It looks like that's, it might be cologne. That's, that's booze. <laughs> okay. It's booze. That's a lot of booze. <laughs> so if you, yeah, that's my mom in one of her black hair periods. Um, now, if you look at the, the top of the, the booze counter or the bar. Yes. You notice this that one of the things that a lot of the, the Congo people did is that we would burn candles yeah, on bottles. I see that. That's like eight pounds okay. of candle wax on top of that yeah. bottle. And we had a we had a collection of those and the one day our uh, keeper came along and cleaned all the bottles. And it threw my mom in a complete spin. She said, Do you know how long it took me to have this done? And blah <laughs> and she didn't that. And you said, well, I was just trying to clean up, yeah, you know, exactly. so it was quite funny. But uh, I mean, again, again, I just want, you know, folks to, to take a notice. You know, they, they used to, unfortunately, do drink a lot, but they have a little mixes. You know, they would mix. I don't know. I'm not a drinker, so I wouldn't know. Maybe a bit of brandy with some hot pepper in it or something. I have no idea. And of course, you can see there are international people because they're smoking Peter Stuyvesant. I was about to say, if you, you take know? a look at the table, you also notice a different error. There are smokes on the bar as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but just the whole scenario of the Congo, it's not a it's not a bush cabin or anything. Yep. That's a fact. It's quite luxurious. We never owned a home in the Congo. We never owned houses per se. Right. It's because because with the government, the government had houses all over the place. So we would we wouldn't even have to pay rent. Mm -hmm. All the furniture was ours. Uh, you know, the, the folks. Sure. And we would just furnish the house. Um, so that just gives you an idea. And the dress my mom's wearing, she made it herself. Mm -hmm. So that just gives you an idea of the lifestyle of that period. Well, on this next photograph of, I've slid down mm, to, this is a city mm. scene. It looks like quite a wide boulevard there with a, a big uh, centerpiece with, uh, it looks like a little yes. monument or yes. park there, bushes and a yeah. two two uh, roadside vendors selling. Uh, obviously one travels by bicycle. He's got it there. It looks like they're selling yeah. purses. I think that's what this is, handbags. Yeah. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. And the cars are smart. They look new yep. and in good condition yep. for a place that rains all the time. You'd expect them yep. to be rusty. Yeah. Um, a typical scene of the Congo, you would you would find that everywhere. 
uh, I don't think much has changed. They're still vending on the side of the streets. Mm-hmm. But those, those, the, and I remember because we had those, uh, we had some of these bags. And when we immigrated to South Africa, we had a few of them. And they lasted for years. They were really well handmade, but they were beautifully made and very decorative. If you go up uh, back to the bar yes. on the top of my mom's head, there's, there's a, a painting there. Painting, okay. Yeah, it's a painting. Painting done by an African, what they call stick figures. Uh-huh. Um, that was all done by the Africans at that at that time and in that period. You, see, you would get a lot of that. Okay. So yeah, interesting. Let me slide down to the next yeah. one here. Um, oh my goodness, there is a, a, a you know for for for. Hang on a second. I got to put us all on the screen so we can just make people can see our faces. Yeah. For those of you under the age of a thousand, um, this is uh, a <laughs> device that today is replaced by something called an MP3 player. You can listen on your mobile. It weighs a couple of ounces. But you're going to see here, it looks like it's Nigel's mom dealing with something the size of an armored personnel carrier in order to generate music so we can hear it. This is like a massive hi-fi. And I think that the, the blue thing might have been a uh, LP player, a record player on top inside a case. How Am I correct? No, you unfortunately you're not. It's, oh. it's a reel-to-reel player. Oh, okay. Well, real close to real. enough. Okay, but it's 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 also for playing sound. Yeah. Okay. What What's interesting? Uh, the reason why I'm showing it is because uh, my dad was very much as a hobby into electronics, so he built that whole amplifier wow. on the radio. Wow. Um, so that was the hi-fi of those days. You know, Ronald Ronaldo Chaus with yes. his Technics turntable. You see. Yeah. Um, it's not that ancient. Um, However, the top part there where you see the brown part with the, those round knobs on it, mm-hmm. that was a, an, a, an amplifier that my dad had built. It was all valves in those days. They weren't sure. transistors. That's a tape recorder. I still have those reels. Wow. wow. I still have those reels with music on it, and I have reels with his voice on it still. Do you think I can find a reel-to-reel tape recorder? Oh, they're hard I to find. Can't have you, find have, have them. you ever been able to transfer that to digital in any way? No, I want to. That's all point. Because I've the, got because the tape mm, will degrade over time. You'll lose it. Yeah, um, we've got. Yeah, I've been very careful to look after those. All the all the slides that I've had from the Congo, they've all been digitized. Okay, um, good. They've been put away. Uh, we have tons and tons of eight millimeter super eight and yeah. standard eight film, which we're busy now putting it onto um, digital format. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, and those, so there's a whole lot of stuff in there as well, which is very interesting. But this is just an idea. Again, we were, let's be honest, middle upper class. Mm-hmm. We were probably considered um, wealthy because of the scenario and how we lived. Okay, but that is a typical um, house that you would find amongst the Europeans in the Congo at that time. Now, folks, I, I, I I've got to let the cat out of the bag here. <clears throat> Nigel's not going to tell you this, but. Um, you see that there were some cables running to it. Uh, they're really just stuck out the window. There was no power. And actually, uh, Nigel's inside that box. He's inside that box as a small child peddling to generate the electricity so his parents could listen to music. It's what we call child slave labor. So I don't know. Nigel, it's a painful memory for Nigel. So he didn't want to share that. Uh, but but we'll, we'll skip that part. But seriously, obviously, you had electricity. How was your electricity supply? Was it reliable back then? Do you remember? <sighs> We did have blackouts, yep. from what I can remember, but it wasn't uh, as frequent as we get it now. I think it was more to do with... Every hour is pretty frequent, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was more to do when we had storms, because we used to get pretty heavy storms at some stage, mm-hmm. and it would uh, smack the lines and cause probably havoc and what have you. So yeah, I remember that. Now, Erica, your father was in accounting, yep. your mother was a nurse, um, so were you guys... Um, 
Were you guys kind of hoi polloi, ritzy ritzy, like uh, Nigel's family was, or were you just kind of middle class and on, on, on the white trash side that my family was? <laughs> no, middle class. Uh, um, little bit. Yeah, high middle class. Okay. All right. So did you guys have any of those high flute? I mean, by the way, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Nigel's dad built that thing. That's pretty cool. But I mean, that's back when we did stuff like that, right? You may, I used to build computers. Now I just go online and go, okay, put this in and put this in and put this in it. I can't be bothered with it. People can't be bothered anymore. So um, what was it like? Uh, did you guys have anything? Uh, was your family into photography or hi-fis or cars or anything like that? Because, I mean, Nigel, his dad's in aviation. He builds stereos. He's got reel-to-reels. They're, they're all big. They're techs. They're nerds before nerds were cool. <laughs> what about your family, Erica? Well, my father had a Mercedes. He had a black Mercedes. Mm, and okay. um, he drove that Mercedes uh from uh, the Congo to um, South Africa, you know, after we had legal refugees. Mm-hmm. And I, my mom and my two brothers and I, we went, we came down um, by train and my dad followed afterwards. We didn't think he'd get out of love, but he did in the Mercedes. Wow. And uh, at that particular time, there was only one other Mercedes in South Africa, black Mercedes, exactly the same as my dad. Was a state president, so yep. you can imagine <laughs> we had fun <laughs> because we went to Victoria. Can I get you? Can I get you to move your mic again? Sorry, it's got that hollow sound again. Okay, sorry. There you Leave go. That's off. that's so much better. Yeah. So so if I heard correctly, <laughs> your dad drove that Mercedes. He got out of Katanga and and got to South Africa yes. in that Mercedes. And it was the only yes. there's only one other Mercedes like that in all of South Africa at the time. Yes, the wow. state president. So wow. we, we had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> People probably thought the president was driving by every time they saw your dad. That's right, because you're in Pretoria. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially in Pretoria. Yeah. Did the police snap to attention and salute? <laughs> we had no problems. Yes, we did get salutes. So oh, now I, I would always crack up laughing. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yikes. So Elizabeth in chat says, makes me want to scratch in my parents' photos, which I'm banned from because of previous theft accusations memories <laughs> well elizabeth you should be stealing photographs from your parents um now that my mother has passed i have a garage full of photographs from her lifetime which i'm about to sort through this week so nigel let's get back to the photographs here um this is an amazing photograph of your mom in a beautiful looking park i assume that's in uh in uh, leopoldville yep that we didn't have robots in those days or traffic lights as you yep. call them we had roundabouts or traffic circles um and Leopoldville was full of them, and that's how it looked at that time. They would take care of it, and you would drive around. Um, and that's mom, like you said, my mom standing in the in the middle there. So that just gives you an idea of the roadworks and the scenery and the vegetation of that of that um, of that country. Now, you see that you see that palm tree there, that that tree I was referring to earlier on behind it. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. So I mean, it's difficult to tell from the photos because I mean, uh, she's not around us tall. But it, look, I get the impression your mother must be tall. Is, is that the case, or just no? Amazing? She was a midget. She was five oh. point. Wow, that's def- definitely an illusion. Then that's why I was asking. Yeah. Okay. No, All she's right. she's very short. So now um, the next photo here we see it looks like fishing uh, made from reeds, fishing baskets. Is that what those are? Yep, that's exactly what it is in the Congo River. The Africans would uh, catch fish in that manner. Um, In some parts of the river where it really flows fast, they would put them out in the water 
I have, uh, there's two photos and you'll see some kids there and you can see how rapid it gets in some areas. Uh, they would put those nets out and catch the fish in that, in that manner. Mm-hmm. And they still do it today. Yeah. Yeah. And they work. They they're very today. effective. And they work and they work. Yeah. yeah. And, and the kids were, mm-hmm. go ahead, go ahead. the kids were incredible in the water. They could swim. They would go underneath. They would come up. No fear of that water. And look at the speed. You can see the speed of that water. It's not slow. Well, and the kids used to go in there. Well, the, I, I don't have that picture up. I'm going to show that in just a moment. I just have the baskets right oh, now. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, that's okay. So people can't see that. They're probably like, what's he talking about? Um, but Leo <laughs> Vinyansa von Rendsburg says, I still have a valve radio and would love to get it working, but can't find anyone to fix it. Yeah, that's yeah. a tough thing. Okay, here you go. Here's the water from the, the Congo and his kids fishing. Look at that. Wow. Wow, folks. There's a bunch. I mean, it's a tiny little kid. Looks like he's about two tiny or three kids. years old. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. And um, let me move on to the next one here. Um, and this, uh, you look like you got lederhosen on there next to, uh, it looks like a, a Peugeot or a Citroën, a Citroën, I think it is. No, um, it's a 2CV. Okay. And is that- De Chavaux. Okay. Is that with your, uh, with your dad? Yeah. So earlier on, I said that every six months you had to leave the Congo and do whatever you wanted to do. It's right. like a furlong, six months furlong. So what we used to do is we used to hire a car, which was a Dershiva, and we would tour the whole of Europe oh, cool. in the De And this is one uh, one of the second last times we went, uh, um, did a tour. This was Italy, okay. as you can see by the grab we were wearing. So um, so that's, that is basically, so you can see I've grown up a little bit since that little baby portion. Uh-huh. Um, and we would travel around in that little Dershavo all over Italy. We'd go to some fantastic places. Um, as you can see, if you, if you scroll down a little bit further down, you'll see we're at the Colosseum and we're at the... Um, uh, there you go. And uh, a couple of places there, you'll see where we are. You're um, looking distinctly blonde. I was blonde. I was blonde until about 15, 14, yeah, this, 15. What, what is that all about? I mean, I, I, was, I had blonde hair. And blue eyes um, until puberty, and then my hair got brown, and then when I got my thirties, it started turning not black, but almost. Black. What's that all about? I mean, that's hmm, interesting. Interesting. I yeah. guess the, the the hair just ex- gets exposed, and I don't know turns, but yeah, yeah, you're looking distinctly yeah. blonde there. Uh, yeah. Looks like it's uh, either no, it's the same day. I mean, I, I don't. It's imagine... an idiot. Yeah, but this I don't, is in Italy. Yeah, I don't imagine wearing the same shirt for days on end. So it looks like it's the same day. You have the same shirt on. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same day. Yeah. Okay. So the the one is the the is I think it's called the Colosseum. Um, yes. In Rome, um, we've been there a few times. Uh, you know, I, it, to be frank, as a little child, you go then you think oh, this is just a piece of scrap heap. It's just c'est cassé, ça marche pas, qu'est-ce qu'il y a avec ça? You know, c'est un problème. So, but anyway, so. And I, I never took a lot of interest about it. But now that the memories are coming back and actually very fond memories of spending time with my mom and dad and looking at these places and thinking, you know, we, we really, we did have a privileged life at that point in time. Yeah, no, it's quite lovely. I mean, you got to do these things. I, I as a child, never got to travel or anything like this. It's quite interesting. You did. I, I traveled, but we were running from bill collectors from state to state to avoid bill collectors. So it's not, not quite the same sort of thing. So, you know, when when you're, you know, slipping out in the middle of the night and you hear sirens as you cross the state line and, you know, you're safe. But, uh, yeah, no. So here's a picture of you. It looks like you got um, roller skates there, man. Those are from the yeah. twelve. Those are also from the twelve hundreds. Those roller skates. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, when because we used to spend my my grandparents lived in Brussels, mm-hmm. and what we used to like to go do when we were there on furlong is to go to Ostend, mm-hmm. and yes. Ostend has a piers and it's got these That's it. You're jetties on a, you're going on a, you're out on a pier right there on a pier there. Yeah. yeah. 
and I used to love roller skating. And that was just me at, I don't know, seven, eight, I guess. Yeah. Roller skating up and down. And they used to have these little three wheelers that you could sit on and pedal. And one of the things I really used to enjoy doing, because every time I go back, well, the last time I went back was quite a few years ago, was they used to have these little um, side road, um, what do you call them? Anyway, don't want to waste time. Yeah. But you could buy you could buy little you buy little shrimps that have been fried with fritos, and you would have that either with mustard or with uh, mayo. Making and used to buy those. <laughs> yeah, and used to buy and eat them on the pier. Fantastic Ooh. because they were fresh, fresh, yeah. fresh, fresh, fresh. Exactly. Because Ostend, Ostend is a fishing village. It's basically a fishing area um, where all the fishing sh- um, boats would come in and unload their their catch. And that's what I used to do in my holidays and fall off bicycles and break hands. <laughs> well, that's not so good. But uh, So Abraham Janssen von Rendsburg asked if you knew Mike Beachyhead. I don't know what that is. Mike Beachyhead. Mm, no. Name's not familiar. And then uh, Elizabeth is offering some kind advice for Leo von Janssen von Rendsburg. He says, try Mars Tube Audio in Parl if you're near Cape Town. Okay, oh. to, to fix that, that tube radio. So that'd be cool. Okay. Mars Tube Audio. Tube Parl. Uh, cool. Um, and then Lynn's uh, saying something about Erica's hair is the same, uh, still the same. <laughs> so, are the folks enjoying this? Um, uh, well, the audience has been consistent. I mean, you know, uh, oh, we, mm. we've had uh, between 75 and 85 people the entire mm. ride so far. So, folks, you're listening oh, to Chris White Africa on the Adobe Africa channel here on YouTube on the 4th of January 2021 for my first my inaugural 2021 interview program. This is the first time I interview anybody this year. And my guests today are Nigel Soden and Erica Unwin, who've joined us uh, to talk about their experiences growing up in the Belgian Congo. That's right. No, we're not glorifying colonialism. We're not calling for a heyday. We don't harken back and wish for old days or days of yore. Now, this was an opportunity for me to showcase Nigel's 14th century technology, um, things he experienced growing up, like these roller skates and <laughs> his dad's massive hi-fi <laughs> and uh, these aircraft from another era. But no, it's a chance just to talk and reflect about uh, what it's like growing up in a different era, in a different time, in a very different place. And that's kind of what we're talking about. So thanks for tuning in. We're going to go for a little bit longer here, but um, we just looked at a lovely photograph of Nigel on a pier uh, with rollerblades. Now, before I bring the next photo up, which is, um, this one's pretty stunning. So before we do that, Nigel, um, I just want to ask Erica. Warn. Yeah, <laughs> I want to ask Erica. So when you think back to Elizabethville, um, what is the thing that you, you miss the most from that time? I mean, you were a little kid, so we miss different things uh, when, we're, when we're younger. But is there anything that stands out in your mind that you really, really miss? I mean, would you, would you, would you have liked to, that time to continue and have grown up in the Congo and, and not moved on? Or, or, or did, was there something special about it? I uh, missed our pets. You know, we had to leave them behind when we came through as refugees, my dog and cats. And yes, I also had a pet monkey and I had a tortoise. Um, I just missed the, wild, the wildness of it because when we came to South Africa, we went to, um, first of all, we went to Pretoria where my grandparents were. And then from there, we went to Johannesburg. And I mean, South African culture hit me like a bomb. I couldn't speak any of the languages. Picked up Afrikaans first. Uh, but yeah, I miss the lifestyle, the freedom. And um, I miss my friends. I miss Trombi uh, so much. He was a lovely man. He really was. And um, yeah, it was a different lifestyle. 
Well, that's that's kind of what I figured. I expected that, that that's kind of what you'd say. Uh, a lot of really nice things coming in the chat right now, folks. Um, people enjoying this. Marauder says, uh, thanks to Nigel and Erica. It's very interesting. Thank you. I'm a sucker for reminiscing. <laughs> now, now, this one I can't endorse, but Ron, Von Ryman, and a couple other people are going on about the wonderful Citroens. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I can't. That one I can't endorse. <laughs> Citroen, no. Absolute garbage automobile. Uh, now I'm going to get hate No, no. So that Citroen duck, what a they sad are. excuse for a car. What a sad excuse for a car. Going to get hate mail now. I'm sure it's coming. Going to be coming very shortly. But uh, yeah, so um, lots of folks are saying really nice things. Um, Keith was asking, can you ask Nigel if the tapes are three and a quarter or seven and a half inches per second? I think he's talking about the eight millimeter. I'm not sure. I don't know. That's a good question. Standard, well, no, he, he would be calling up standard, what they call standard eight. So yeah. those sprocket holes are different to super eight. Exactly. They're quarter inch, but I don't know what speed they were at. Like, I think they're quarter inch. Clem Melinarik says, great stream, guys. Really interesting. Well, that's cool. So now we're going to embarrass Nigel. Before, before oh, you okay, go. Okay, okay. okay go uh, before you go, I'd, I'd like to correct a misconception about a Citroen. Oh, dear God. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're you, having trouble with Nigel's connection. If he drops off, don't pay any attention to that. When you drive in Europe in those days, specifically yes. Italy or even Belgium, and you, you have these little cobblestone roads, mm -hmm. you do not feel a thing when you drive in a De Chevaux. It's as smooth as a baby's whatever. Bum. Now, yeah. <laughs> and the the only car that could duplicate that kind of ride was the Citroen again, which was what did they call it? The D nine, I think they called it in those days. You know that long that long one, where you pop pop a tire and then you can still drive on three tires, you know, on three on three wheels. This this little Dushava was exactly the same. The only problem with this car is that it was a three cylinder, if I can remember. It was a 900cc. It was two strokes. So it smoked like hell sometimes. And when you hit a hill, it would puke all over the road because it just looked at it and thought, I'm not going to make this at all. You know? So I'll <laughs> grant you that piece. But for the rest, nah, nah. <laughs> You may continue. Well, thank you so much for that. That brief interlude, this advertisement for piss poor French Citroen. automobile production. Citroën, yeah, that's right. Uh, Peugeot and Citroën. Uh, even the very names are difficult to uh, stomach. No, just kidding. Just give them the French a hard time, folks. Just give them a hard time. The Duck is actually a beloved. The Duck is a beloved vehicle. People absolutely love it. They cherish it. They I don't know why, but they, they really do. Mm. Uh, so now we're going to embarrass Nigel with um, this is a photograph from Life Magazine and Vogue. And I think it was in uh, Gentleman's Quarterly back in the day. So we're going to show you this photograph here. You guys ready for this? Check it out. Look at James Bond right there. Look at that pose. Striking a pose with that lovely um, lime green sort of uh, blazer and a turtleneck. Wow, look at that. Where's this at, Nigel? Okay, this is 1972, uh, 72, 73, just before I met my wife. Um, I, I was approached by some agent and asked if I would do some uh, modeling uh -huh. um and i said yeah wait, sure wait, 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 wait a second wait a second hang on a second nigel why, why did you pause like that you made us like think like he's going, i was approached to do some uh some movies some uh like you were going to no. do in porn or something let's I mean, let's, let's, just let's, let's move on oh, <laughs> oh, oh we've let's uncovered we've discovered something here <laughs> folks this was a family program send your children home now mm. <laughs> anyway mm. go ahead nigel but the reason why i put that photograph is to show you that nothing has changed today you know, you look at this and you say, well, you can see it's a vintage photograph. Yes. Right? But if you look at the jacket, that green, 
when the reason why I put it there is because the, the, the next photographs will explain it, is that that green jacket was given to me after we had done that whole session. But there was one proviso, proviso that I had long, long, long hair in those days. Uh, and, I, and for the folks who are over 40, 50, you remember there was a, there was a, a boy by the name of David Cassidy in that time. <laughs> yeah. And he had this long, long hair. Well, I had long hair like that and I had it, and I had it the same style as this. But I was asked to cut it short for this photo session. So I said, okay, fine. And if I did that, they would give me that jacket, which I did. I got it. When I met my wife on a blind date, I was wearing that jacket. And her first thought was, not that he's a good-looking bugger or that he's handsome. She went, oh, that jacket. My God, I'm not going to go out with that man. <laughs> so that's the story of that picture. <laughs> uh, not the modeling part, nothing. Okay. So there's another <laughs> photograph where Swift was going on. The next one here looks like somebody's playing guitar. Um, where's this at? This, this is, again, this was up in Joburg. Um, these, these are a staff member of my dad. My dad worked for a company in Boxburg. And I was invited to go and play guitar there. So this is the era. Um, what, I, what I'm just trying to show is the continuity of things that we did in the Congo with the music, et cetera, et cetera. How, how although we live in a different era, but things don't really change. We, yeah. we do the same thing, electronics, flying, photography. It's just the technology is different, but the, uh, the, the hobbies are the same. Nothing's changed much. The tools change, but the human interaction mm. remains consistent. Mm. And that gets lost on people. Mm. You know, it, it may be um, PlayStation and PCs and Xboxes mm. today, but it was Atari and Pong 30, 40 mm. years, 40 years mm. ago. And before mm. that, it was different technology, that sort of thing. Mm. Now, I will say this, that you, you, you seem to have adapted well from the Belgian Congo, and you've pretty much become a Borki there because, I mean, you seem to be incapable of wearing shoes. You're barefoot in this photograph. I never wore shoes. I never wore shoes in the Just Congo. Just like an Afrikaner. Wow. <laughs> when, I, you know, when, I, when I went to, when I was sent to a private school, the public school in England, up in Yorkshire, uh -huh. uh, I would, bought me a uniform and they presented me with these two black objects. And uh -huh. I thought, what the hell must I do with this? And they said, you will wear them. You are not in the Congo anymore. <laughs> wear them i couldn't wear these shoes it was just terrible so i would wear them go and have breakfast and when i went to class i would take them off and walk without holding in my hand you know and then i would put them under my desk and in those days you wrote with a quill you know the quill with a little pen yeah, on it and yeah. you would dip your quill in the ink in your little angled desk made out of wood and you were right there and for unfortunately i had a broken arm at that time so i had to write left-handed but I was fortunate because I was ambidextrous. The problem was, as I wrote, everything got smudged. Yes, because... So I'd look at this and I thought, what the hell? You know? As a left-handed person, I'm quite well acquainted with the yeah, uh, bigotry against left-handed people, the way that writing mm, things are designed. Mm. But uh, <laughs> so, so they, they, I, I'm going to have mm. to say this, Nigel. Um, listen, uh, broken hand, broken arm. I think that you're probably a disaster to hang around with. You're probably an unsafe person to hang out with. So um, if, 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 if Giselle decides to go skydiving again, I'll suggest she take you. I'm not going. You think I'm bad? You must see my younger son falling off a motorbike. He's got pins all over him. He oh fell down goodness. a castle and broke his arm. I don't know how many times. So 
He's taken after me, but he's got more. Anyway, <laughs> let's continue. Yeah, so this next photograph here, um, let's see, before we get to that, uh, Fawn says Oxford pants. Uh, good one there. And Nigel's, or no, Hendel, Hendel says that Nigel sounds like a French car salesman. I thought so too, but just anyway. But, um, and then uh, here's another photograph. This is a lovely lady. I want, I want to know what his name is, please. <laughs> I shall sell him a good second-hand car. That doesn't sound like a French car salesman. It sounds, so more like a, it sounds more like hello, a... Hello. Uh, Attends. Uh, uh, tell me the go. name of this Frenchman. Huh? This man. That's better. Hmm? <laughs> I will put my dog onto him. <laughs> All right. So here's a photograph. Looks like it's in a pub or restaurant in a booth mm -hmm. and with a red shirt on. And is that your wife or? That's my wife. 1972. Wow. Uh, and she's smiling despite the green jacket. That's impressive. Well, she had destroyed it by then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was banned from wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The if it you know we we have a saying we all know this when you marry when you meet a woman mm -hmm. you I uh, it's just unusual although well, you can't see in this photograph but if you look at my wife and you look at my mom they're very similar and you always seem to marry somebody that's very similar to your mother and I know that sounds strange but so I've put it in there because and I couldn't find one of my mom but this was in Belgium on honeymoon in 1976 mm -hmm. uh, we got married. And then two years later, I took her on honeymoon. So this is one in those little pubs in, in Brussels where you would go at the back of La Grande Place. They've got all these um, restaurants where the locals go and we'd go and have escargots and... Um, uh, what do you mean, ugh? ugh uh, escargots, ugh. not ugh. Uh. Um, <laughs> so, and I took no, it. We went all exact, over the place. exact, ugh. ugh. <laughs> How can he? How is it that he, he can say "ugh" but he can't say "Ronaldo Chos"? I do say oh. "Ronaldo Chos." Oh, then you got it. You got it. You see, but okay. I don't. I don't often keep spare phlegm in the back of my throat just to pronounce oh. his name. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's my wife in 1972. Okay. Unfortunately, she's not well at the moment. Um, Sorry to hear that. No, just that's how it is. But a uh, wonderful lady. We've been married for 46. 45 years now. Wow. So see, the, the green jacket wow, that's didn't amazing. do any harm. It didn't do any harm. Um, yeah. Yep. So let me see. Uh, I, oh, hang on a second. I just lost where I was at there. So this is the next photograph. Um, this mm. is, um, it looks like a sort of white dress. Um, and what's yeah. this one? This is taken in Greece. Okay. Um, but if you look at her style and you look at my mom in the previous pictures, you almost see the same clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Some reminiscence. So, it's it, nothing changes much because fashion just repeat themselves after so many years. You know? Yeah, they, things so come I, back. I, yeah, I put that in there because it's as 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 a means of continuity, how, how things continue, but in a different time in a different uh, space of time. Um, yeah, uh, there's a nice story behind that, but I think we're running out of time, so I'll skip that one. Well, so we there's, the, we'll the last stop one. the last one here, the last photograph here mm. that we have. This is um, an awesome looking plane. Mm. And I can't tell where this is. That could be anywhere in the high belt or somewhere in Southern Africa, but uh, it's yeah. pretty cool looking. The one behind it's even yeah. more impressive. Looks like it might, yeah. I don't know, it might be a, a Lear. I don't know what this one in the front is, but um, no, the, tell this, us about this picture. This one in the front is a, a Piper Tri-Pacer. Okay, um, Piper, okay. Yeah, 135 horsepower. That's my wife standing under the wing there. Okay. The, again, this continuity. My dad came out of the Navy. I went into the Navy. My dad was in aviation. I got involved in aviation. After aviation, I got involved in hi-fis, uh, top-end hi-fis. So there's that continuity within the family. The interesting thing about this particular airplane is that it came out the factory floor on the same day that I was born. No way. 
Exactly the same day when I was wow, born. Wow, wow. So and I you... got my license on that airplane. Okay, but you got on that plane. You didn't You didn't own this plane, though. No, we owned it. No, we owned it. Oh, we you did it. own it. Wow. That's, incre it, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, is it? Is it in the, the dustbin of history now, or is it still around? Oh, no. it's. I don't know, actually. I haven't checked. Um, I haven't checked if it still exists. It probably does somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I put it in there just to show continuity and how extraordinary it is that it actually came out the factory on the same day that I was born. And what, what, what airfield is this, did you say? This is Benoni Brackbane Airfield, okay, Brackman, 1975, 76. Yeah, and the airplane behind it is a Piper Seneca. Oh, okay, Seneca. That's why it looked yeah. familiar. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Pipers are made right here in Pennsylvania. Then they eventually, the company was relocated to Florida. Um, but there's a there's a Piper Museum here in Pennsylvania. Um, I've been there. It's pretty pretty cool. Um, oh, okay. It sits in an airfield up in the center of Pennsylvania, just west mm. of Williamsport, about half an hour, 40 minutes from there. Quite pretty, mm. quite awesome. They've got a good collection of stuff, an amazing collection. The building sucks. It's it's an old, you know, the operations building um, mm. with the hangars and the maintenance bays in the back, and they've turned into a museum. Uh, somebody needs to come up with like 3 or $4 million to build a proper, you know, modern building because because the, the things they have inside it warrant a proper museum. Mm -hmm. uh, Piper is amazing. Um, you know, Piper Cub, oh, man, that is a classic aircraft for mm -hmm. firefighting, for reconnaissance, for all sorts of things. Piper is amazing. So, Erica, when, when you guys moved, when you guys moved from, move, moved, you fled as refugees, moved. We flee. Yeah, yeah. When, when you fled as refugees from, <laughs> from the Congo, from Katanga to South Africa, and you had to leave all your pets behind. It sounds like you had a zoo there, a tortoise and a monkey and yeah. all kinds of other things. When you left all that behind, um, did you at the time, and this is a question for people who, for refugees, and I, I know a number of people in my lifetime, particularly from Europe, who were refugees from the Second World War and such, mm -hmm. but also people from the Middle East who've been refugees. Uh, did you think or expect that you'd be going back? I mean, uh, in Europe, a lot of people thought, well, once the war's over and everything's settled, we'll just go home. That's what people do after war. You leave for a while, then you come back. But the modern situation refugees is it, they never go home. You can't go home. It's not safe. So as a little kid at the time, did you think, well, we'll be coming back? Or did you, at some point you realize that's it? I'm never going back to the Katanga. No, we knew we weren't going to go back because um, all, uh, between the time we left, my mom and my two brothers and I, and, and with my dad finally arrived, things exploded. Mm -hmm. And I remember my parents and my grandparents listening to the radio every day. And my mother was crying at times as well. And I didn't think I'd see my dad alive. I'll never forget the day when I did see him driving up the road, you know, in the black Mercedes. It was the most amazing day of my life. I just, um, but then there was talk that um, we would go back to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And um, but my dad was offered a job. His first job was with um, Total, and then he, from there he went to CNA. He was in charge of South Africa, all the books and things like that. And then after that, we went to Dundee. But um, we never, we knew we would never go back. Mm. Yeah, no, that that's got to be that's got to be tough because that's what you know. You're just a little kid. That's mm. your whole world. That you know. For me, um, I was never a refugee, but but certainly moved a lot, and so I was 
constantly accustomed to picking up and moving every few months or to somewhere else, being new, being skinny, being the, the new person on the outside all the time, was always on the outside. So um, that's all part of it too. I mean, you're, you're on the outside, you don't speak the languages that these people around you speak and, and you've got to adjust and, and, and figure things out for a kid. Kids are adaptable. We learn quickly. We learn languages, but mm-hmm. but the constant changing or the big change like that's got to be difficult. So, uh, but you had a pet monkey. I didn't know that. That's fascinating to hear about. So, <laughs> well, said so the natural. No, I think it was common. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not surprised. I didn't I mean, it was know. Pretty, yeah, pretty common yeah. then. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. Um, if, if I can just share one little story, sure. an incident happened in the Congo, which is quite hilarious. Um, we used to drive around in Jaguars. In, in those days. And then my dad decided, you know what, let's get an American car. So they bought the Studebaker, really 1968, no, 66 Studebaker. Mm-hmm. No, 1958 Studebaker. Mm-hmm. And it was imported. And um, and he always had cameras and 35 mil uh, canisters with him all over the place and got in the car and we drove. And then one day he got in the car and he heard this rattling. And he tried to find the damn rattle and he couldn't find it. And this went on for about three months and eventually he just got fed up. He took the car back to the agents and he said, look, there's a rattle in this car and it's just driving me dilly. So anyway, they, they drove around it and they heard the rattle. They said, fine, okay. And none of them could find what the rattle was. Eventually they said, okay, fine, we'll get you. We'll import another one for you, which they did. And you got that one and it was perfect. About, a, about six months later after he got his second one, the dealer found him and said, uh, Mr. Soden, are you short of a 35 mil film canister? We found the source <laughs> of your rattle. <laughs> and of course, the canisters were tin. They were metal. They weren't tin. plastic. Yeah, and of course, later, yeah. when, my, growing, when I grew up, I mean, those were all plastic containers. But back in those days, they were all metal or tin. It's crazy. Mm. Listen, folks, come on. Smash the like button. 81 people watching the program right now. We got 84 likes. Although I suspect most people that are here probably already liked it. But if you haven't, please smash the like button. There you go. There's one more uh, before we close out this stream. Wow. Um, that, that's, that is a funny story. Thanks for sharing that. Well, guys, um, this is uh, it's been fascinating, I think, for the audience. I've enjoyed it as well. Um, thanks, Nigel, for digging up those photographs. It just reminds me of the task I have waiting for me with my mother's photographs. Mm-hmm. So much to do with digitizing those and getting ready for my family members so they can see them. That's going to be a lot of work. Um, Ron says Studebaker Jags. Interesting. Yeah. No, that is interesting to see that Studebaker was in the Congo. That's pretty fascinating to see that that actually happened. But um, yeah, when you think of Africa, you don't think of American-made cars. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you just don't Damn. think of them. You don't think of them at all. Uh, you definitely think of, of uh, European cars back in the day and for the last 20 or 30 years, Japanese cars. That's what you expect. Toyotas all over the place, things like that. Maybe some BMWs, some Audis in South Africa, Mercedes occasionally. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So, there were a lot of Jeeps there. A lot of Jeeps and there? Chevy trucks. Yeah, oh, okay. and when... There, there was a crowd that used to catch animals. I don't know if you remember the film called Hatari. Yeah, yeah, that's a John Wayne movie. It's his only yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Those vehicles. Those vehicles. Was, I had a friend who was involved in that. That and, was filmed uh, in Arusha in Tanzania. Mm, yeah, mm, yeah. Mm. yeah, Hatari. And it was Tanganyika then because I don't think it had become independent yet. I'm trying to remember the year. I think it was 58 or 59. Maybe it was 60. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And every time I watched it, I cried my eyes out. Why did you cry? You miss it. You you missed oh, you missed for the, for the okay yeah you okay yeah, I got you okay um yeah no I actually enjoyed it that was a pretty good film by John mm-hmm. Wayne I mean it it's it doesn't get a lot of credit for you know but I mean it's, mm-hmm. it was pretty good uh, Hatari mm-hmm. yeah no that was a good movie so uh, yeah guys um any uh, last thoughts Erica uh, on the Congo Belgian Congo growing up anything you want to share with anybody because um 
you know, uh, what we're doing right here, honestly, folks, this is recording history right here. I mean, it's, uh, it's like I always tell people, uh, now this doesn't apply to you guys, so don't, this is not, but I'm just saying a lot of people, because I'm a genealogist, are like, yeah, I, gosh, I wish I talked to my parents and my grandparents when I was mm. younger to hear stories about, you know, growing up and where they're at. Uh, and that's what I always tell people who are into genealogy. If you have parents, you have grandparents, you have people that did something interesting, or even if you don't think it's interesting, and you're interested in genealogy or family history, go talk to them. Record an audio interview with them. Save those digits so you have their voice and hear their stories. And uh, understand that we're all storytellers, and uh, probably a little piece of all our stories are just nonsense, but uh, most of them are true. So, But capture those things, because if you don't, you'll regret it later on. And if you have kids and grandkids, um, you'll regret not saving those things for them. So <laughs> I think what we've done here a little bit today is is capture for posterity a little bit of both of your experiences growing up in different parts of the Belgian Congo in a very different time and a very different era. So any last thoughts, Erica? And then I'll go to Nigel. I don't regret um, spending those uh, years in the Congo in the beginning. I learned so much. Chombi taught me so so much um, as well, him and his family. Um, I learned about their culture. I was one of the family and uh, could interpret the jungle drums and all that. And I think it's made me into a different person. My story isn't the same as everybody, as most people. And I, I don't regret it. It's just memories that are very special to me. Cool beans. Well, thank you for that, Erica. Nigel, any closing thoughts? Yeah, you know, one of the lessons, I, the most impressionable years of a man's life or a person's life is when they're young kids from, you know, zero to 13 or 10. One of the things that really makes me angry today is, is that there's such a divide amongst people that it, all this nonsense that's going on today is actually unnecessary. All we've got to do is sit, sit around the table, talk, because we all come from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Um but this, you know, what happens is that these other, this other narrative comes in and destroys the history of all people, not just one group of people, but all people. And the lesson that I learned from the Congo as growing up is that I'm not unique. I'm just a small little cog in this grand scheme of humanity and that we should really just, and I know it's impossible. It's an impossible task. It's just talk to your neighbors and talk to other cultures and what have you. You know, I have nothing against anybody i just hate it when they come with that narrative and because I, I can't stand it because i come from africa and i grew up there mm -hmm. um i so and i don't want to get into politics i don't want to get into that but i do not class myself as a european mm -hmm. i'm not european minded i'm african minded okay mm -hmm. and I, I hope for the future for all of us is that we can we can escape any form of violence and and the stuff that happened in the rest of Africa doesn't look like it. But anyway, yes. So my time in the Congo, brilliant. Wouldn't have changed it. Would I go back? Don't know. Don't know. Remember the heat and humidity, mosquitoes. Mm, yeah, they, have, they haven't yeah, left. Yeah. That's still there. So keep yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tolerable when you're six, not so tolerable when you're 66. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But uh, so uh, Keith Alderson said, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. No, Leo Vignanza von Rendsburg says, uh, my father, when he retired, went to all his siblings and scanned in every photo he could, gave all the kids a DVD. So awesome to have. Yeah, exactly. That's the advice I'm giving people now. So, Nigel, you, your kids, if you've got grandkids, they ought to be listening to you and, 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 and talking to you and hearing stories of growing up there so that those things continue. It's the same it's my, and my Yeah, it's my eldest son that got onto recording and archiving my folks' history and my history. Brilliant. So they, so they know they can go back when, because I've got two grandkids, so they can pass on the story to their kids. That's and awesome. there's that continuity, so they know our history. Now, just one very important question. The son that archived, is that the one that keeps breaking things, is it? <laughs> no, no, this is no, just, no, this is my I'm just kidding. One, uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm actually then, yeah. I'm, a, I'm house sitting at the moment. It's his house. He's down in the Cape. He's taken his family down there for a weekend, a week or something. So I'm at his house at the moment. So that's where I am. Gotcha. Keith says, guys, negotiate getting a few photos while your family's alive, or get copies as and when you can. Mm -hmm. My grandmother, for some strange reason, threw most photos away while. Uh, before she died and that's an important uh, point folks because a mm -hmm. lot of photographs people never put dates and places and people's names on the back of them so you're if, if you don't know these people because they were a generation removed or they were cousins then you're lost to describe who they are and then and then that that's just such a shame so it's important to capture that stuff uh what i'd like to say now okay oh, chris yeah good so sorry just quick one do it because out of that well something will happen which happened to us about a year ago is i discovered i had another family in australia purely by archiving the photographs and making inquiries and showing photographs to people that had been in that era that somebody phoned me from america and said are you so and so of so and so and i said yes he said do you know that you have another family in australia Wow. So you never know what's going to come out of it. That's another story we can share sometimes. Absolutely. And last night I was doing genealogy while I was uh, mm -hmm. watching uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. I was multitasking and doing genealogy and I uh, discovered uh, a whole parcel of first cousins uh, on my maternal side whom I never mm -hmm. knew even existed by going mm -hmm. back and, and finding mm -hmm. documents. And so now I've got more cousins to find out about. But so uh, we're at 98 likes, so close to that triple figures, 98 likes. And, two more. Uh, let me, yeah, two more. Let me say this. Two folks. more. Come on, guys. Two I more. Want, I want to thank both my guests, uh, Erica and Nigel, for joining us and sharing their experiences growing up in the Belgian Congo in two very different locations, but apparently with the same damn weather, but uh, two very different locations. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess you couldn't get away from the rain no matter where you go in the Congo, but thanks a lot for that. And uh, just to let people know, uh, there will be a Night Owls edition today, uh, but in the meantime, once I get off here, I'll be doing an unannounced live stream, a short one. Uh, 15 to, well, uh, probably 30 minute long live stream. It's going to overlap with Ronaldo's program. So uh, my apologies to folks that want to watch both. You don't have to come watch mine live. If you don't want to, you can watch it after the fact. The reason I'm doing a live stream is because I'm going to put up a video uh, that was put together. It was just released today from Epic Times about fraud in Pennsylvania. And as I play the video, I'm going to have myself on the screen. I'm going to pause it and offer analysis about this new video talking about uh, 400,000 votes stolen from Donald Trump, supposedly, purportedly. So I'm going to do that live stream, which was unannounced. So if you want to catch that, you're welcome to join us for that. Uh, and that'll be shortly, probably within the next 15 minutes after I go off air. And I'll do it for probably 30 minutes or less. And then we'll do the Night Owls edition. But anyway, so again, many thanks to Nigel and to Erica. I uh, really appreciate you guys being on here. It just goes to show that um, people make assumptions about how people look 
and based on their appearance. Um, so if people look at you guys in Africa, they go, oh, look, Europeans, uh, or oh, look, white folks. But um, you both uh, grew up in the Congo, but in very different circumstances. I mean, uh, Nigel's dad is, is English, and mom is a Walloon, and Erica's uh, mom, wait, which one's, one of them's from Switzerland, and one of them's, I'm My dad is from Switzerland. Okay, your dad is from Switzerland, your mom is from Belgium, right? That's it. Yeah. All right. So there you go. And, uh, and and you grew up in different parts of Congo and you wound up in South Africa and neither one of you could speak the damn language you got there. And, and poor Nigel didn't, <laughs> didn't even know how to wear shoes when he arrived. That's how bad things were. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, Olaf says, fantastic stream. Love the history and get to know the Congo through others' eyes and experience. Well, there you go, folks. We're going to end it here. I'll ask both my guests uh, to head off the screen and I'll wrap up. And thank you guys so much for this experience today. I really enjoyed it. And I think the audience got a lot out of it. By the way, we hit 101 likes. So, bye bye, donkey. Qui a le bois? Merci, mes frères. C'est très gentil de tous les gens. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Merci beaucoup. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, guys. Salut, mes amis. Salut. All right, there you go, folks. Um, let's get them. Uh, uh, Nigel's blushing, but I think the reason Nigel should blush is that 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 model photo. That was that was impressive. He's kind of, he was kind of hot looking. I mean, the lime green jacket aside, you know, he's a good looking oak. <laughs> All right, guys, I'll let you drop okay. off and then I'll, I'll wrap up. So go ahead and wait. Okay. Okay. And just in case they can't get there on their own, I'll help them get there. Okay. Uh, that's not what I wanted. What's not happening here? Erica, you're still on the screen. I'm going to put you in it. There you go. All right. So what's going on here? All right, folks. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I really appreciate the support for the channel. Awesome. We got over 100 likes for this view. This was a pretty cool uh, first interview of 2021. We started off right here with uh, Nigel and Erica talking and reminiscing about their experiences growing up in the Belgian Congo. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a lot from it. Uh, thanks, Nigel, for the photographs. Uh, Erica, thank you and Nigel for sharing your experiences growing up and uh, what it was like. Uh, the Belgian Congo was a very different time. A lot of people will um, tell different parts of history and particularly those who didn't experience it. So it's nice to get firsthand, first-person, primary source accounts of growing up in the Belgian Congo. Thanks a lot, folks. Again, I will be back on the air shortly, and I'll be showing a video that was published by Epic Times today about vote theft in Pennsylvania. And this is new votes we haven't heard talked about before. This is all uh, has to do with uh, with the uh, with the counties reporting votes and and actual votes numbers being taken away from Donald Trump. So new evidence of more fraud. And so that'll be a live stream coming up shortly, unannounced. If you can join me, you're welcome to join me. Uh, and uh, it'll be me discussing this playing the video. So there you go. Uh, this was pretty cool. I enjoyed this one. I'll make sure I archive this video after the fact because it was pretty interesting. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. And with that, we're going to close it out here. And uh, and you guys can catch me shortly. And again, there will be a Night Owls edition tonight if you want to tune in for that where we'll cover the news of the day. So thanks a lot, folks. God bless. And we'll catch you here shortly on Chris White Africa for a update on the 2020 elections, assuming YouTube doesn't cut me off. <laughs>